how he was able to have a thriving 15-year NFL career, the biggest challenge when changing franchises from the Tennessee Titans to the Baltimore Ravens, what allowed him to have his first breakout year in the NFL, the importance of always being ready, the biggest lesson that he learned from playing under Nick Saban, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 361 with former NFL Pro Bowler, Derek Mason. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Is life a little overwhelming right now? Do you feel like you're trying to do so many things, but you can't keep everything under control? If so, that's why I created the Best You Membership, to help go-getters like yourself move from overwhelmed to organized and in control of their life. If you want to learn how to keep all six areas of your life, health, personal, career, financial, spiritual, and relational, all organized in, in a constant state of growth, then go to nickcarrier.com slash membership to learn more. Again, nickcarrier.com slash membership. Today, I cannot wait to bring you the one and only Derek Mason. If you're a longtime Tennessee Titans or Baltimore Ravens fan, then you know who this man is. He is a former NFL All-Pro and Pro Bowler and now is a business owner and proud father. Derek has also been taking my Orange Theory classes for the better part of a year now, and I'm pumped to finally bring him on the show. Before diving in, be sure you're subscribing to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share this episode with a friend while you're listening. Just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Derek Mason. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast today. I am super excited to be joined by the one and only Derek Mason. Derek, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. I'm super pumped to make this happen. Uh, well, thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, of course. Of course. So uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Derek for it's probably about a year now or so mm-hmm. you've been coming to uh, Orange Theory classes and I swear you're there uh, every single day getting after it, which is awesome. Um, but super excited to kind of dive into a little bit of kind of your career and some of your uh, biggest lessons and, and, and things of that nature. But I kind of want to start off today by talking about how you got drafted in, in 1997 to the Tennessee Oilers, as they were known back then. And then it seems like it was a few years, like maybe that third year in 2000 mm-hmm. when you really started to hit your stride and and really started to make a really big impact with the team. What do you feel like was one of the biggest reasons or one of the things that allowed for you to start making an impact that third year? Was there anything different in particular that happened or that changed with you and your game? Um, well, nothing changed with my game um, other than, you know, being in the NFL for two, three years, you start to pick up on things. You start to learn how the game is played at the professional level. And then also you pick up on the speed of the game because it's much faster um, than, you know, the world of college football as a whole. Now, there are some teams like Alabama, Georgia, Michigan State teams that play fast regardless. But as a whole, the NFL is a much faster league than um, college football. And it took me, you know, that three years to sit back and learn. Not that I didn't want to play because I did. And, you know, it was I got an opportunity to play early, but not as much as I want. But even with playing early, 
it allowed me to sit back and just watch the game being played, watch guys in front of me, watch what they did that that made them successful and watch what they did that sort of, you know, didn't make them successful at times. You know, so it was good for me. But then ironically, it was unfortunate that Kevin Dyson, who was the starting receiver at the time, ended up, you know, blowing out his knee in practice. I think after like the third or fourth game of the season. And that inserted me into the lineup, not as a starter, but inserted me into the lineup. And then someone else got hurt. And that sort of pushed me into the starting lineup. And I didn't relinquish it after that. So I, I think it was just an opportunity to sit back and watch the game unfold and and learn the little nuances about the game that allowed me, you know, to be successful when I became a full-time starter. Yeah. Because the thing was, is, you know, you have to be ready. You can't, in this situation, you can't get ready because a lot of times you only get one shot at proving you can play you know, when the lights come on. So I wanted to make sure that that I was ready and it wasn't a matter of me, oh, now I'm in certain that's in the lineup, now I got to get ready. No, I was prepared and ready before then. But it was fun. I enjoyed those first three years, but I, I loved it even more when I became a starter. No doubt. And, and I'm glad that you really harped on that. I loved that quote, you have to be ready, you can't get ready. And it's uh-huh. funny, I don't know if you're watching the Tom Brady thing, uh, the man in the arena. But, you know, you hear this story so many times where players go down and the next person has to be has to be the next man up and they have to mm-hmm. essentially take advantage of the opportunity pretty quickly. And if they don't, they're going to be shoved aside and the next person is going to get their chance. So when you had those couple of years when you weren't playing as much, talk about the mindset that it takes for you to continue to prepare, even though you don't really know when your opportunity is going to come. Because I think so many people do wait for like an opportunity to be in front of them to get ready. So what's like the mindset shift that those people need to have to make sure that they're always ready, regardless of whether they know when the next opportunity is going to come? You know, for for me, at least, and and believe me, it wasn't all, you know, fun and giggly and you know, kumbaya. It wasn't that those three years, there was times where I got very discouraged. There was times where it wasn't fun to me anymore, but I always had, you know, whether it be at the time, my, my wife at the time or my children, cause they were still young. There was always someone encouraging you to keep going and keep doing your thing. And I can remember a guy by the name of Chris Sanders, because I would come in and I always had like a happy, joyful spirit or I come in and I'm laughing and and that's just the way it was. But there was a point where I wasn't coming to work that way. And I remember he pulled me to the side and he was another wide receiver. And he said, listen, no matter what happened, you can't allow someone else to steal your joy, you know, and that stuck with me you know, during my playing days, but it still stuck with, stick with me now. You can't allow what others say and what others do kill the joy that you have within you, the joy, for, you know, to play football, the joy to be a trainer like you, Nick, the joy of doing your podcast, the joy of a doctor or lawyer. It doesn't matter. You can't allow someone else or circumstance to kill your joy. When he said that to me, it instantly changed my personality 
and my demeanor moving forward from that day on because he was right. You know, no matter how hard I was working, there was still, you know, that that sense of someone telling me, well, you can't do it. You're back up your third stringer. And for a while, you know, because I felt I was doing everything I needed to do. But for a while, it was just, you know, what more can I do to for them to recognize me? And that does, you know, at times it it will stifle your joy. It will put, bring your joy to a halt. But after that, it was like, I got, you know, I'm coming to work and I'm going to enjoy every minute that I have on this football field. So that was my demeanor for those three years before I came and started. It was to go to work, to do everything I possibly can to make sure that I'm ready and to not allow the coaches, other players, media fans to steal the joy that I had or have when I'm in between those lines or outside, you know, out there with the guys practicing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's super powerful and definitely a lesson that everybody listening can apply in their life, whatever it is that they actually do. And so you talked about one of the biggest things, the, the adjustments to going from college to pro. And a lot of people talk about the speed of the game is one of the biggest things. I'm going to kind of jump real quick to what the transition from NFL to post NFL uh-huh. was like. What was what, what do you think was the biggest or the, like the toughest part of the transition from being in the NFL to then not? The toughest for me, because you got to understand and your listeners understand as well. I started playing organized football, a junior in high school. So you're talking junior, senior, four years of college, that's six. And then, you know, 15 years in the NFL, that's what, 21, 22, somewhere around there. So for those 20 plus years, I knew exactly what I was doing, when I was doing it, and when it was going to end. You knew from the workouts to the time with your family, to picking up the kids, to dropping them off, to games, everything, traveling. You knew exactly what you were going to be doing. And then all of a sudden you retire and it's not there anymore. Now you got a lot of free time on your hands and you're trying to figure out, okay, what can I do now? But for me, it wasn't a question of what I do now. It was, okay, I have to... Because my kids were small, still had to take them to school, you know, pick them up, going to their sporting events, going to their activities. So for me, my day was pretty much busy. But I think a lot of guys, when they make that transition, it's not necessarily financial. It's more so if I've had, you know, a structured life for X amount of years. Now it's not there no more. Now I got to find something that gives me structure or I got to find something that gives me structure for one. And then it's the camaraderie. Where do I get that from? Because you're walking in a locker room every day with 50 some odd people. That's not even counting staff, coaches, people in the building. So there's a camaraderie, a family sort of built. Okay. Where do I get that from? And then you've built this family and everything else and you're used to being competitive. So where are you going to get that competitive edge? You know, where are you going to get it from now? You've retired. You don't need to be that anymore. But a lot of guys do struggle with that. Where am I getting that from? So for me, 
you know, I had things to do, but I think the part that really, you know, bothered me, it was the competitive part. It was the, I am competing with someone at all times. Now I move outside of that arena and it's not that way right now. And that part you do miss, you do miss the competitive fire in nature. That's why I continue to work out as much as I did, because at least that gave me that I want to get better. I want to get it better. Or I'm competing quietly. I'm competing with the person next to me. They may not know, but if they do 10, I'm going to do 11 just because. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And actually, you know, one of the questions I was coming in thinking about that, I, what I was going to ask you was, I, I feel like a lot of people, do, athletes, when they retire, there's a lot of them, I feel like, who do lose their motivation to exercise and because they're not necessarily exercising for anything in particular. And I was going to ask kind of what your motivation is, but do you feel like it's just kind of to keep that competitive edge and that competitive outlet for yourself? Yeah, it, it was that. And then um, the second one, well, it can be, you know, 1A and 1B. It was, you know, playing such a physical sport and knowing what it's done to individuals physically as well as mentally and i think i just thought it was very important for me and i think it's very important for basically anybody uh, whether you're an athlete or a person that just goes to work you know every day i think you you gotta have that you gotta be able that that workout is sort of my release it's still sort of my my space that if i'm thinking about things I can kind of problem solve, but then I can release. It's that, you know, some people like to go hunting. Some people, you know, like to go to a gun range. Stuff, it just different things. Some people just like to read. But for me to release that, you know, distress and everything else, and to make sure that from a mental standpoint, I'm okay, I chose to continue to work out uh, because I, I really do. And I'm a huge proponent of this. I think working out helps mentally with you. I just think it does. When I don't work out for about a week or two, I feel it. And it's like mentally, I just feel like, you know, it's just like, oh, I got to do something. But the minute I start back working out, it's like, you know, every day it helps me to focus mentally on whatever tasks, you know, I have after working out. When's the last time you went a week without working out? <laughs> The hell are you doing? Uh, no, I uh, when I went on vacation uh, <laughs> earlier, yeah, earlier this month or the be- end of last month, I went on vacation and um, for yeah, it was for a week, and I did work out one day there. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned that was part of the uh, kind of the difficulty or a challenge of the transition is the camaraderie, and you know, I only played high school sports and then intramurals in college. But like, I, I, you know, I feel the same, same sort of thing. And that's one of the reasons why I love group fitness as well, because of the camaraderie, but it kind of branched off of that. I feel like so much of being successful in sports is building a good relationship with your different teammates and stuff. And, you know, one relationship in particular, Steve McNair, he was your quarterback for time, both in Tennessee and in Baltimore. So it kind of, this could be answered based off of your relationship with him or just based off of relationships with other people. What are the different things that you feel like really helped you foster a really great relationship with the teammates that you had that allowed you to really trust each other at a, at a, such a high level? You know, 
when you when you come in as a a rookie or a free agent, whatever, you got to come in and you got to earn the respect of the guys around. You got to earn the respect of the coaches. And, you know, once you earn that respect, you start to trust and they start to trust you. And a lot of it, I think just in, in, in life general, it's okay. If I'm going to, you know, foster this relationship, whether it be on a football field or in the boardroom, it's cannot trust this person to do X, Y, and Z. Well, I trust that he or she is doing X, Y, and Z. But then on the flip side is, can they trust me when I say that I'm going to do this? Can they trust me to do it? Okay. Now that you've shown that you can trust them, their their word is gold. They can trust you that you're going to do exactly what you said you were going to do. You know, that can go from the football field to the boardroom, to the classroom. It's that mutual trust. And that mutual trust helps build and foster a relationship. Because everybody had families. Just about everybody had families, uh, immediate families that were there with them, whether I be here in Tennessee or in Baltimore. So the time that they spend with their family is that time. But for the majority of the time, I spent more time with my teammates when I was playing, then I did with my family from mid-July to February. That's the season. I spent more time with those guys than I did with my family because of the hours we had to put in. So you have to build a relationship. You have to build trust. And we all are working toward one common cause, even though we're from different parts of the country, different beliefs, whatever the case may be, we are all working for one goal, and that is to prepare during the week and to win football games. So if you got 50-some-odd guys or girls all working toward that one goal, eventually you're going to build a relationship, not with all 50 of them, but you're going to have a close relationship with at least five to 10 guys. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think so much of building good relationships with somebody is also is that going through struggle with them as well. I think there's no faster way to build trust and build a great relationship with somebody than to go through struggle with them. But one of the things I think I, I'm, I'm always super fascinated by people who are able to be successful and like sustain that level of success over a long period of time. And you had such a long career in the NFL and, you know, it's, it's pretty rare that somebody is able to be in there for 15 seasons, regardless of whatever their position is. And you had so much success throughout you know, so many of those seasons and across two different franchises as well. And obviously in the NFL, there's a large component of maintaining health and, and not having any kind of major major setbacks with regards to injuries. But what do you think are some other things that really allowed you to be successful over the long haul? I guess first, just the way I trained in the off season, I had to pick a training regimen in a training style that suited me and my body. Majority of the times, typically, if you're working at the facility, they have some of the best weight trainers in the world, or strength coaches in the world. And we had a really good one there in uh, Nashville as well as Baltimore. But I just believe the templates that they put together, it may help everybody, but it doesn't suit that 
it doesn't suit everybody. You know, I had to, you know, get a trainer and a regiment that suited me and my body style and my position that I played on a football field. I couldn't do what the defensive linemen were doing. I couldn't do what the O-line, linebackers, defensive backs, safeties, running backs. I couldn't do what those guys were doing as far as their workouts. I needed a workout that suited me and what I was doing and what I was trying to get better at. Um, So for me, my off-season was dedicated to spending time with the family and working out specifically on things that I needed to get better at. So my off-season workouts were harder than anything that I did during the season, be it game or practice. And I wanted to make it that way. So when I got in the game or when I got to practice, it was easy. You know, it was easy. It was, okay, I've been doing this all this whole summer for three months, three, four, five months. And then when I come to practice, it should be a piece of cake for me as far as condition wise. You know, for me, that was the most important part. The offseason regiment wasn't as in depth or widely known as it is now. I mean, guys are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, upwards to millions of dollars on their diet and everything else during the season and during the offseason. It wasn't that way when I was playing, but I wanted to make sure that the things that I were doing were specifically for me and what I was doing in, in, in the position that I played. And I think secondly, and the most important one, regardless of all that stuff I did, I was just blessed. I truly, you know, because I saw other guys that had great workout ethics, that worked their tails off in the season, out of the season. You know, I've seen a bunch of those guys. And I've seen all those guys get hurt and miss handfuls of games. So for me, yes, it was. I was working as hard or harder than anybody else. But it gives you an opportunity to stay healthy, but it's not 100% foolproof. So for me, it was just, I was truly, and I say this humbly and wholeheartedly, I was truly blessed because my body type, stature, the position I played, it doesn't call for me to play 15 seasons and only miss two games. It just doesn't. But I was just truly blessed, man. I thought, you know, other than working out, it was just, I was looked upon and, and God's hands were on me. There's no doubt about it. But um, I am interested in the transition from Nashville to Baltimore because I think it's something that a lot of people will be able to gain value from because so many people make jumps from, you know, company to company or have different transition points in their life where they're surrounded by new people kind of with maybe different values or different kind of goals and and they have to build new relationships relationships and, and things of that nature. So for, from your experience, what was some of the biggest challenges in making that jump? And what were some of like the most important things that you needed to do early on to make the jump not like comfortable, but make the jump uh, work for you, If I guess, if that makes sense. I think that the only thing that I worried about, the only difficult part about it is my family getting readjusted to another city. Because when I lived here, we had two children, my daughter, Bailey. When we made the move, she was five, six. No, she was six. And my son, Derek, was two when we made the move. So 
the difficult part was, okay, yes, we're making this move. Yes, everybody has to pick up, pack the house up, and we got to move. But dad has a place he can go to and make new friends. Well, mom, brother, and sister, they don't. It's difficult. They got to find doctors, you know, pediatricians, a school, stores, everything. They have to find those things. And I can't help because I'm at work. I think that was that was the difficult part about, you know, for me in regards to moving, because I knew I was going to be OK once I got to work because those guys, I played against them and they respect me as a as a ball player and I respected them. And then, you know, another guy, Samari Rowe, who I played with in Tennessee, he came with me, basically. So I had a familiar face in the locker room. But I knew once I got into that space, I was going to be OK. It was obviously. Again, it was the family getting readjusted to everything. And then for me, it was just learning a new playbook. That's all it was. And, you know, I never really had a problem with learning playbooks. So, you know, for me, it was just getting in, getting a playbook, building a rapport with the quarterback. That probably was the, as far as me personally, that probably was the sort of the difficult part was. Okay, I got to get this whole new playbook. Now I got to build a rapport with the quarterback. Um, you know, I have to earn his trust. He has to earn my trust. That probably was the sort of the hardest part for me. Nice. Well, I, just a, a few more quick questions here. Make sure I get you out of out of here on time. I, uh, you know, people always are asking about the best coaches in the game and what makes them so great. And you had the, the uh, opportunity to play under Saban um, at Michigan State. I don't know if anything sticks out to you as biggest lessons that you've learned from him, but I kind of wanted to talk to you about what it, what is maybe something that the biggest lesson that you learned from, from Saban from your time with him. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020 and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hey, my name's Vanessa and I joined Nick's 10-week program because I really wanted to challenge the stereotype that college kids are perpetually exhausted, stressed, and running off of mac and cheese and PB&J. Since joining Nick's 10-week program, I have had the goal of just incorporating more consistent exercise and working out four to five times a week. And so I've been able to do that. I hit my goal of getting in 50 workouts over 10 weeks, which is really exciting. And my favorite part, though, about the program is the things that I've taken how I've changed outside of the gym because of what I've done inside the gym. Like I am a more disciplined, more focused human being. And I know that when I say that I'm gonna do something, the follow through is going to happen. And that's things that I've learned all through the 10 week program. And so that's been my favorite part. You should join Nick's program. Like you need this. <laughs> One, he treated us like grown men, you know, because essentially, you know, that's what we were for the most part, you know, because he came in and, and I was a junior, so I'm 20 years old, um, 1920. 
And, you know, you got a bunch of other guys that are a little bit older than me. And, you know, these are grown men. Maybe they're not 30, but these are grown men and men that are responsible or need to become responsible. And I think Coach Saban, he was one of those guys where he treated you like a grown man and he expected you to be responsible for the things that you did or didn't do. So I I had to learn very quickly and grow up very quickly when he became um, head coach at Michigan State. And that, you know, that helped me, you know, going into the NFL and him being able to tell me certain things because he had coached in the NFL. And there were several coaches on the staff that he brought in that had coached in the NFL as well. So those things under Coach Saban, I was able to learn. Now, if if you did what Nick said, you were okay. Yeah. If you if you did exactly what he wanted, if you bought it to the program, he was you were good with them. If you didn't, <laughs> I feel for you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel for you because I mean, you know, he just didn't tolerate it. Not to say he automatically just kicked people off, but he wouldn't tolerate it. I guess you know some guys, you know, just got to a point where they just didn't want to fully buy into what he was, you know, what he was teaching. And some of those guys end up leaving the program. And, and some guys, it, it was just very difficult for them, you know, moving forward. But, you know, that and him just treating you like an adult, just allowing you to be responsible. But he cared as well, too. So, but he was a spitfire back then. <laughs> well, I think I think that's a, a huge leadership lesson for sure to, you know, you, you phrase it as you treat them like grown men. And like you said, you have a high standard for them. You expect them to do what they're supposed to do. And I, I think that's huge. Like you want to make sure that you believe that the people that you're leading are going to uh, execute at a high level and, and give them good expectations. Um, because exactly. a lot a lot of times people will live up to the expectations that you set for them. If you set low expectations, then they're going to live up to those low exactly. expectations and, and vice versa. Um but second to last question is, what do you think is maybe one of the biggest lessons that you've learned about yourself? You know, you, you talked about how after retirement from the NFL, you had a little bit of structure in your life with regards to your kids and, and things of that nature. But regardless, you had a lot more time on your hands post NFL. What do you think is one of the biggest things you learned about yourself with that extra time on your hands that you didn't necessarily realize when you were still playing? Ooh, boy. I thought that, you know, I needed like this circle or this sort of net or dome to stay structured. I thought I needed somebody else's, you know, schedule to stay structured. You know, somebody a schedule that somebody else make for me to stay structured. I thought I did. Once I retired, I realized that I didn't need someone else's sort of schedule to keep me structured, you know? Yeah. I learned how to stay structured because of the game, yes, but it wasn't like I needed the game. It's one of those things, you know, hey, listen, I can, you know, I can I can either teach you how to fish or fish for you. Which one do you want me to do? Well, it's better that I teach you how to fish. Well, the NFL and everything taught me how to be structured. And when they taught me how to be structured, I was able to be structured after them. 
I was able to, to have my schedule, you know, what I do, when I do it, you know, without having the National Football League. And I think a lot of times some guys, you know, when that or girls, when that one thing is gone, they figure, well, I can't do it. I don't know what I'm I can't do it. Well, if you think about it, if you were there for enough time, you should have learned. Yeah. Now, if you didn't learn, that's up. That's that's on you. But you should have learned whatever it was you were going to learn. And you should be able to implement it without those people being anywhere around. And that's what I learned. Yes, the National Football League and and collegiate football, high school football showed me how to be structured. But after retirement, I didn't need them to stay structured. It was already in place. That's good. Well, before I ask the last question, Derek, I just want to acknowledge you for your humility. I think that, you know, you talked about how one of the keys to your longevity is obviously being blessed and everybody can do all the right things and provide themselves with the opportunity, but still, unfortunately, not be as blessed to be able to to keep playing. But then I really recognize your humility when you talked about the move to Baltimore and you immediately thought about kind of the difficulty for family in regards to making sure they were well adjusted and how that was kind of one of the biggest things. So just want to acknowledge you for that and just acknowledge you for having a hell of a career. And, um, you know, it's funny when I went, I actually hadn't been to a Titans game yet, having now lived in Nashville for four years, but I went the other, uh, went the other day and they were talking about Titans legends and they were mentioning you. I was like, hell yeah, that's my boy. (laughs) Um, but anyways, anyways, last question here, Derek, is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to that best version of Derek Mason that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? I think one of the things is, for me at least, just being able to, and I've started to do it more, just being able to be there for friends whether it be, you know, helping them with something they have to do for work or family things or just giving them a, a word or, or advice or just checking up on them. I think that's one thing that I've been doing become to become the better version of myself. I think the second one is, and it goes right along with the first one, is be more present and attentive to my family. You know, because my son's in school, my daughter's, you know, she's working in Dallas and then I have my brothers and sisters. One is in Atlanta, the rest is in Michigan. But I, for a while, I wasn't as connected and attentive, especially to my siblings. Now, my, my daughter and my son, I, I'm always connected with them no matter what. But my siblings, I wasn't as connected as, as I had been or should have been. So I wanted to make it, you know, personally my goal to be more attentive, to call and see what they're doing, to make sure everything's okay, to, you know, just laugh with them and talk about old stuff. So that's the second thing that I think allows me to be the better version of myself. And I think lastly, it's just from a spiritual aspect, not religious, but from a spiritual aspect, is to get more in tune with myself see some things that I need to become better at from a spiritual standpoint. And then honestly, 
that allows you to do those first two things better. So I think for me, those three things, be more uh, more in, in tune with my friends, uh, help whether it be helping them or, or giving them a word of advice, the same with my family, you know, and the same with my spirituality. Well, those are awesome, man. I think they, uh, I think they all work in, in harmony for sure. And like you said, one supports the other. Um, but those are three great things. Awesome interview today, man. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time and I'm sure I'll uh, see you here pretty soon. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Appreciate it. You have to be ready. You can't get ready. I mean, damn, that was good. You can't wait until you see an opportunity in front of you to start preparing for it, or it's going to be too late. You have to be preparing when the lights are not turned on, so when they do come on, you're ready. I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Derek. If you did, please share it with a friend or family member by sending them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you liked it, then leave a five-star rating and review. I loved it when Derek talks about what he learned about himself after retiring from the NFL. He thought he needed the NFL to provide his life with structure, but then he realized that he was able to actually create that for himself. He didn't need to rely on anybody else. And I think that's really the case for all of us. When we finish playing sports or when we finish school or we leave a job for entrepreneurship, we're leaving the thing that provided us with structure and we need to be able to learn how to create that on our own. If you're looking for more organized structure and growth in your life, then the Best You membership is right up your alley. If you leave your personal growth up to randomness, you will forever live your life in mediocrity. Don't let that be you. Learn how to move from overwhelmed with everything that you have going on to organized and in control of your life. All you have to do is go to nickcarrier.com slash membership to learn more. But for now, it's time. It's time to be ready so you don't have to get ready. And it's time to take ownership for the structure in your life so that you can continue to get closer and closer to your best you. We'll be right back.